Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to Three Guys in a Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. You're a good man with a good heart. And it's hard for a good man to be king. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Black Panther. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from the throne room in Wakanda, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. How you doing? And to my left we have the professor, Ken. Hello everyone. How you guys doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know, we're about ready to talk about a kick-ass movie, and I'm looking forward to it. Tonight, we are talking about Black Panther, which was released on February 16th, 2018, based on the comic book by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, directed by Ryan Coogler, screenplay by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole, and it stars Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Danny Guerrera, Martin Freeman, Daniel Kalua, Letitia Wright, Winston Duke, Angela Bassett, Forrest Whitaker, Andy Serkis, and a bunch of other actors. How'd this movie do, Don? Uh, this movie was made for $200 million, and it looks like it brought in $1.3 billion dollars i read somewhere that i think at the time this was the first marvel movie that made back its initial budget on opening weekend oh i believe that uh when this dropped this was huge and i gotta say i remember going to see it when it came out and being really excited for it uh because they gave us a taste of black panther and civil war you know and after that, I was really, really looking forward to it because he was just so cool in Civil War. I was excited to get to know the character better. Well, the other thing I thought was interesting is even though this movie came out, I believe, two years after Civil War, it's supposed to be taking place one week after the events of Civil War. Yeah. So in 2018, this movie grossed $700 million, and that beat out Infinity War, which had only grossed during that year, $678 million. So it was a bigger box office hit than Infinity War at the time. Pretty yeah. crazy, huh? So the third highest grossing movie for 2018 was another superhero movie. $608 million, Incredibles 2. So for movie grossing, superhero movies, the top grossing movie, of course, is Endgame. And then you have Infinity War. And then a little further down, you have Spider-Man No Way Home, Avengers, and then Avengers Age of Ultron at number six is Black Panther with $1.3 billion. Wow. I find that surprising. I would have thought it was in like the top three, four. Okay. So let's talk about Ryan Coogler. He is a director that I had no idea was affiliated with the movie Creed. 
Creed is such a badass movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first film that pops into my head is Fruitville Station. I never saw that. Oh, it's it's heartbreaking. And um, but then come to find out that he did Creed, and I really really enjoyed Creed. Do you know what the similarities are between Creed and Black Panther? Both movies are about a son who loses his father. That basically his whole ambition is to you know, deal with the loss of his father to kind of make up you know, what the world owes him. Oh, well, there you go. Unfortunately, the world doesn't owe anybody shit. Mm. So not according to there's that aspect. Both characters. I don't give a fuck what the characters think. The world doesn't owe anybody anything. So did you see that he's also directing Wakanda forever? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, oh. so he also wrote the screenplay for Creed. I didn't know that. It's like, wow, Creed's like his his baby. Yeah, he definitely is one of those uh, writer-directors. He produced Creed 2 and Creed 3, which is in post-production. Uh, Michael B. Jordan directed Creed 3. So w- what did you guys think of Chadwick Boseman in this? Loved him. Uh, absolutely uh, blew me away. Uh, when he first gets introduced in Civil War, uh, I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. That. Is Black Panther. When I saw initial interviews with him before Civil War, I kept thinking, how is this guy, you know, from the other stuff he's done, how is he going to play this African king? And yeah, he, he absolutely blew away all expectations. He will forever be the Black Panther, the king. Oh, yeah. 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 He just hits it out of the park in this. And uh, are you familiar with more of Bozeman's work? I didn't know. I wasn't. He he was such a phenomenal actor. Uh, It's so sad and heartbreaking uh, the way it all went down. Real tremendous loss. So every bit as much standing toe-to-toe, dominating the screen. Oh, my gosh, Michael B. Jordan. What a stud in this role. Uh, Killmonger is, he is one of my top three Marvel villains. He is so good in this. Oh. Well, what I love what Ryan did with this movie with the character Killmonger is, yes, he's a villain, but in many ways throughout the movie, especially as the movie goes on, you can start seeing things from his side of the story. And almost in some ways, a lot of people who watch this movie begin to root for him because, yes, he had a hard life. He got screwed over in the beginning. um, And he's just trying to take back what he figures, you know, his, his life was supposed to be. And, you know, you're avenging for his father and all that. It's just, you know, you can kind of start seeing that maybe he is the villain, but he's also got a point. So you would be okay if he took over everything by force? No, I'm not saying revenge is the best way. Well, that's what but I'm also saying he did get a raw deal. So, yes, he turned out a bad apple because of the raw deal he got. And the fact, there is a point in the movie, and we'll talk about this later, where everything probably could have gone a different direction and not led to where it went. Yeah, at the end of the day, he's a villain that you sympathize for. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of saying. Um, Doesn't make it right, though. No. So, Michael B. Jordan did a perfect job of us uh, wanting to root for him, but knowing that you can't. He also had some of the best lines in the movie. Oh, he had the best lines in the movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah his ending scene, the the scene at the end with the sunset and everything, just a killer rememberable line. Yeah. What would you two think of our big reunion in this movie? 
what made the whole movie, the big reunion. I'm lost. I loved it. I thought it was the best reunion I've ever seen. Freeman and Circus. We had our Lord of the Rings reunion. We had our Hobbit reunion, basically. Oh, fuck. I didn't even put that together. And the fact, I guess, they were nicknamed on set. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, did you hear what their nickname was? The Tolkien White Guys. (laughs) The Tolkien White Guys. (laughs) That's good. To round out this cast, the movie brought in a couple of heavy hitters in the regards of Angela Bassett and Forrest Whitaker. Uh, two great actors did, um, again, an amazing job in this movie. Yeah, I think everybody who was cast in this movie was perfect. Uh, mm-hmm. Lapita Nyong'o and Danny Guerrera, uh, the two uh, female uh, leads, if you will. Absolutely fan-fucking-tastic. Martin Freeman, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, and then Letitia Wright as Shuri. Shuri uh, is easily the MVP of this film. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's, she's a, a lot of fun. She's a delight. Absolutely. And um, it was uh, Winston Duke Mbaku. I think he's a really good actor. And they just did a really good job. I, I bought everything from everyone. But you know it's a good movie when you want to see these characters return in another movie. When you think the casting is so perfect, I want more from all these characters. And when we got to see them in Endgame, um, just seeing, you know, the Black Panther walk out and Mbaku and all of them and Shuri. It just, again, that's just what highlighted that movie for me. Yeah. You know, all those actors you just rattled off, a couple of them have Academy Awards. And so I took a look. If you look at all of the different actors from the MCU, I counted up about 30 actors from the MCU that have Academy Awards for acting. Holy shit. MCU's not playing around, man. They go out. They're like the Yankees. They go out and get the best players that they can get. Mm-hmm. And, totally. Well, a lot and what's of them, even better is the they say yes. Well, a lot of them are begging to be in the Marvel movies, too. Well, well now they are. But yeah. Marvel was doing that early on, and their casting, I mean, we've said this uh, for years, their casting is nine times out of ten pretty fucking spot on. So speaking of the other side of this, would you guys put Black Panther in your top five no. of the MCU? Yep. No. Would you really? I got to say, I was looking at this myself, and I'm wondering, would I put this in my top five? Hard to say. It It is right on the cusp, but definitely in the top ten. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah without a doubt. It's maybe six for me, right? Because that's where it sat initially with me. It's like, would I put it in the top five? Because that's initially where I have it, is it six? Yeah. When and I was listing mine out, it actually came in at five. Thousands of years ago, five African tribes wore over a meteorite containing the metal vibranium. One warrior ingests a heart-shaped herb affected by the metal and gains superhuman abilities, becoming the first Black Panther. He unites all but the Jabari tribe to form the nation of Wakanda. Over centuries, the Wakandans used vibranium to develop advanced technology and isolate themselves from the world by posing as a third world country. In 1992, Wakanda King T'Chaka visits his brother Najobu, who is working undercover in Oakland, California. T'Chaka accuses Nobu of assisting black market arms dealer Ulysses Claw with stealing vibranium from Wakanda. Nojobu's partner reveals he is Suri, another undercover Wakandan, and confirms T'Chaka's suspicions. In the present day, following T'Chaka's death, his son, T'Challa, returns to Wakanda to assume the throne. 
he and Okoye, leader of the Dora Malages, extract T'Challa's ex-lover Nakia from an undercover assignment so she can attend his coronation ceremony with his mother, Ramonda, and younger sister, Shuri. The Jabrari tribe's leader, Mbaku, challenges T'Challa for the crown in ritual combat. T'Challa defeats Mbaku and persuades him to yield rather than die. The way this movie starts with the narration of a father telling a story to the son, who was the two people doing the narration? Morgan Freeman and James Earl Jones. No, do you know which characters they were? I read it and then I forgot it instantly. Originally, I thought it was young T'Challa talking to his father, asking his father's questions. Turns out, from a director interview, it was actually Sterling, the guy who played Eric Killmonger's father, he was narrating it to his son. And so the director was trying to say to us, from what I read in this interview, that this is as much a story about Killmonger as it is about T'Challa. It's supposed to be equally both of them. Oh, I believe that 100%. Najobu opening it with the narration makes complete sense. Yeah, it kind of almost, when I knew that this round going into watching the movie, it gave it a little bit of a different slant to me, which I thought was actually very interesting. Because it makes more sense now of how, you know, Eric had heard all these stories from his father. Yeah, well, I never questioned whether or not he had heard or how he had heard. Uh, given the knowledge that we come to find out that he has, obviously he knows something. Right. And so uh, this movie opens up with uh, the narration, like you were saying, and explains to us how Wakanda came to be and how the Black Panther came to be. And, you know, it all stems from vibranium. And we've known in the MCU that vibranium came from Wakanda all the way back from Ultron. Right. So we as an audience or we are the fans, we're just waiting to see. Uh, how this all plays out. Well, I think our first introduction to it was in uh, Captain America because we find out that his shield, he finds a shield that's made of this precious, rare metal that doesn't exist anymore called vibranium. Right, but we don't find out where it comes from until Ultron. And that's what I was saying. And then after all of the narration, we cut to 1992 in Oakland and we are introduced to Najobu and at the time the kid's name is James, but later on we find out it's Zuri and we are introduced to King T'Chaka and his guard. The two, uh, Nobu and, uh, James, I believe are planning something. Did you figure out what they're planning? Cause I didn't realize it until recently what they were planning. When this movie opens, when I first saw it, I just assumed, uh, it being in the nineties, that it was some sort of, uh, a political, um, not terrorist act, but a, a, a political act of aggression maybe, or so some kind of uprising. Yes. Thank you. There was some kind of uprising. That's how I took it. I never took it as they were going to go rob a bank or they were going to do some petty crime. I always figured it had to do with an uprising. Did you figure out what it was, Ken? No, I just took it as probably some sort of a political thing. Now, granted, we did see some rifles, so maybe it could be a little bit more than that, but I didn't take it as they're trying to overthrow the government. I actually had to watch it a couple times, and then I read some notes about it. What's actually going on is his wife is in prison, and he is planning to break her out of prison. He mentions her a couple of times when they're talking about plans. This is where she's going to be. This is the cell number. This is all the information. They're planning to break her out of prison. 
what the story goes on to tell, which we obviously didn't get that in the further information. Obviously they weren't able to break out of prison. She died in prison. And that's why Eric was raised without parents. And so, uh, King T'Chaka comes to Najobu's apartment and he wants him to come home. And, you know, at first he's, you know, just they're brothers and he's like, come home, it'll be fine. But then we find out that T'Chaka knows that Najobu has been doing some shady dealings and getting vibranium out of Wakanda. Well, apparently what we find out, uh, and again, this is a connection. I don't know if I made it right away was he's been working with Claw, and that's where Claw got all the vibranium that appears in the Ultron movie. We cut to present day. Well, according to the news, Wakanda is a third world country. The newscaster is talking about the woes of Wakanda. We catch up with T'Challa and uh, Okoye in their ship, and they are on their way to retrieve Nokia. I, I love the comment she makes about don't freeze when you see her. I Okoye is a sec uh, is a close MVP for me in this film as well. I loved everything that she did, uh, just the, her sheer presence and that she is the leader of the guard and her whole character so badass, so badass. Well, what I love about her and just her such a strong character is when she appears again later on in Endgame, she can stand side by side with all these heroes who have powers and abilities. She's just as badass as all of them. Oh, 100%. She had her head shaved every day, and it took about a couple hours to put all that onto her head. Well, we appreciate it. So he jumps out of the plane, and once he hits the ground, the trucks crash, and then we get this 45-second tracking shot, which I just fucking dug, where we follow one soldier to a second soldier to a third soldier to a fourth soldier, to a fifth soldier that takes us around to the back of the truck. One continuous shot. It looks so good. What I really appreciate about this director is he gives us longer takes in the action. Uh, if you go and you look at a lot of other Marvel action movies, they're quick cuts. Yes. Bang, 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 bang. And now, granted, he kind of um, he kind of fools everyone because there are cuts in there, but they're more digital. And it makes it look like it's a longer take because a lot of those moves with T'Challa doing his thing, that's CGI, right? And sometimes you can tell. But my point in saying all of that was I appreciated longer takes of action so we can see what's going on as opposed to the quick cuts that are fun and cool and have done right, very effective. But sometimes we get oversaturated with that. Another thing that I appreciate about this whole sequence is when... Uh, T'Challa finally does get to the truck and he sees Nikoya. He does freeze up and that almost humanizes the character that he isn't this uber badass superhero. He is a human inside of a suit. It's just great writing. It's what I, I just appreciate that, that the with the style that it was done. Well, it's not only the writing, but it's the way Bozeman sells it. Mm -hmm. And I think I got that him being a good person or a good human. I got that out of Civil War. And, and the little amount of time he had, he just chewed it up. You know what I mean? And he was already elegant and he was already a, a, a prince and I bought it from Civil War. But, he, but they did such a good job carrying it over to this. Yeah, because they had made him very regal in Civil War and very formal that this almost made him almost like a child with a crush. I mean, just, you know, a, a young man crushing on a girl. Sure, sure. Well, it is his ex. Mm -hmm. So, And then this is where we get a great little taste of what makes uh, an MCU movie so much fun. 
Okoye, is that how you pronounce her name? Okoye. Okoye, she hits the ground. You froze. Yeah. And then that, that callback happens again. Just a little bit of humor, which is so iconic for Marvel movies. Just just a little bit of humor. So they rescue Nakia, or not rescue, actually they go to get her because T'Challa wants her there right. for the coronation. And so when they return to Wakanda, this is where we meet uh, the Queen and Shuri. They are sitting there waiting for, uh, for them to arrive. And I like the banter between Shuri and T'Challa. And as she's walking away, she's flipping them off. Did I, you? That was so good. Did you catch how the Queen knew without turning around what Shuri was doing? Uh, I actually was watching a video today on just some different clips and things that were in the movie. T'Challa, if you go back, he he makes a face like, you know, mouth drops open and just kind of stares at her for a sec. And that alerts the queen that she's obviously doing something behind her back. Oh, yeah, never noticed. So it. it's just little, little nuances like that, just fun stuff. And this is where the MCU also defines itself. It gets right to the edge, but it never drops an F-bomb. Right. Right to the edge. We never. You're never going to see nudity in a Marvel movie but you're never going to hear an F-bomb. So seeing the middle finger, you know, it's just like, oh, right at the edge. There's a couple other times throughout the MCU where you get hints of it could be said, but it gets cut off. Well, we do have a Deadpool movie coming out. It's going to be a Marvel movie, and I bet you they're going to break all the rules there. So let's talk about the whole coronation and the challenge and how even though the society is so technologically advanced, how they hold so tight to their traditions. The coronation scene, I thought, I mean, it was it was festive. And one thing about Black Panther, uh, in my book, I think it has the best soundtrack out of any MCU movie. And uh, it it really plays it up here. And, and there, <laughs> when the coronation happened, I was only thinking one thing. Not very practical for all those people to stand on the ledge to look down. How did they get all those people up there? And I mean, what if you look, I mean, I would seriously get a case Vert of vertigo. Vertigo, right? absolutely. Yeah. They have hover bikes. Well, yeah, but I mean, why why not just have a coliseum? You just mentioned something about the soundtrack and all that. Something that I didn't realize and going back and now watching it again, it's another thing that takes me even farther with this movie. Did you catch that certain people had certain music just associated with them, certain instruments? For example, T'Challa, anytime you really see him, or especially when he's in battle, he's got a drum beat behind him. What I guess they call the living drum that's always beating behind him. Killmonger, on the other hand, when he's fighting and doing things, he's got a flute music behind him. And when he slashes people or he cuts people or shoots people, they make a flute sound. Have you, did you notice any of that with the soundtrack? Uh, I noticed that every character had their own theme. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't, I couldn't pinpoint the instrument or tell you what the instrument was but uh yeah movies do that all the time uh characters have their own themes and i really dug all of these characters themes because every every so often a beat would kick in in the movie and it, it just it engrossed me that much more what do you think of the introduction of mbaku who in the comic books is known as the man ape yeah uh i think it was I don't want to say that this storyline and this plot was predictable, but it was predictable. And what saves it 
from being bad predictable as opposed to good predictable is the performances. And I think that Winston Duke, who portrays M'Baku, uh, did a great job. I bought that they were, I don't want to say savages, but they were uh, from a different tribe. Mm -hmm. And they didn't necessarily recognize what's going on because they're in the mountains and they're kind of like the outsiders of the of the tribes that went to war. Well, they hold on to the traditions more tightly. They're less advanced on purpose because they want to keep everything traditional. There you go. And so when he comes in and challenges for the throne, I knew, you know, he wasn't going to win. We also knew that this was foreshadowing for a future obvious challenge. I do want to point out that uh, I did have Julie watch this movie with me and she actually started to get into the movie. And when you talk about predictability, it was interesting to see from her viewpoint of someone who had never seen the movie in that she found it very unpredictable. She put her money on the fact that Shuri was going to challenge him. And when Shuri actually, you know, anybody said anybody else want to make a challenge and she raised her hand, you know, Julie was batting me on the shoulder saying, see, 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 I was right. See. And then when she didn't, Oh, so I guess for some people, it wasn't that predictable. Julie watched a superhero movie. Yeah, she made it halfway through the first time, fell asleep, but then the next day wanted to finish it. So she was excited to finish the movie. I would not have thought of that. So M'Baku comes to challenge for the crown and T'Challa defeats him. But before all of this goes down, T'Challa has to lose his powers as the Black Panther. Very, very important. Well, yeah, that we uh, see this. Yeah, because if he has his powers, it's, it's not, not a, it's not a fair fight. Not a fair fight at all. That's not good sportsmanship. Not at all. And he's trying to be a good king, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, ultimately, he wins, but he doesn't kill Mbaku. He gives him a chance to yield, which is a very human thing to do. And it was noble. Yeah, absolutely. And because he, he's trying to be a good king. Well, we also get the idea of themes in this movie, kind of like we got in Shawshank Redemption that the theme of hope was throughout the movie. The theme in this movie or the two themes that are going head to head is revenge and forgiveness. And in this, we're showing that uh, T'Challa is a very forgiving king. He's a very much of a humanitarian and wants to be a good person. And so instead of just outright killing M'Baku for challenging him, he forgives him and spares his life. I took different themes out of this. I thought that it was a strong story that focused on family and responsibility uh, uh, and, and, and uh, appreciating your culture and where you come from and what it means to be human. Uh, what did you guys think of Forrest Whitaker? We get him and he's the king's aide, you know, still in Wakanda. I liked Forrest Whitaker better than this than I did in Rogue One. Yeah, he was a he he was a, a bit of a loon in Rogue One. A little bit. When Claw and his accomplice Eric Stevens steal a Wakandan artifact from a London museum, T'Challa's friend and Okoye's lover Wakabi urges him to bring Claw back alive. T'Challa, Okoye, and Nakia travel to Busan, South Korea, where Claw plans to sound the artifact to CIA agent Everett K. Ross. A firefight erupts and Claw attempts to flee but is caught by T'Challa, who reluctantly releases him to Ross's custody. Claw tells Ross that Wakanda's international image is a front for a technologically advanced civilization. Eric attacks and extracts Claw as Ross is gravely injured protecting Nokia. Rather than pursue Claw, T'Challa takes Ross to Wakanda where their technology can save him. So we get to meet Killmonger in Britain. 
and he is there. And I got to say, I really dug the heist. It was very smartly written. And I, um, I appreciated how the, uh, the, the curator, um, how her coffee was spiked. And I had a hunch that was happening the first time I saw it. It's like, oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Killmonger's introduction is probably one of my favorites. Uh, it was, it's a great scene. Uh, it's shot beautifully. And then again, the score that's underneath it mm-hmm. is just, I'm tapping my foot or I'm bobbing my head and I'm just getting into it. So what I really liked about it too, is that you, know, you mentioned the interaction uh, of Killmonger and his uh, guide or who the museum person is, you notice that that museum guide started out kind of almost like she was a little bit of ego. She was talking down to him and you know he's asking all these questions and then that whole paradigm shifted to where he's got all the knowledge he's got all the power and she's basically coughing and dying um i just i you could just almost feel it shift as that conversation went on i really thought that the uh that the conviction that we see in killmonger at this time you know this this sets the trajectory for who this character is and he is driven by his convictions and he is unflappable and he is a stalwart soldier that is going to stop at nothing to get what he wants yeah he he uh we definitely know who killmonger is after this scene mm-hmm. for sure i also do appreciate you know the the comic book guy in me that he digs the mask and he takes the mask along with, you know, that little bit of vibranium that they take uh, because that mask is actually very close, very reminiscent of a mask that he wears in the comic books. Yeah. So little nods here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we get to see Claw come back and boy, what a delightful character he is to watch. Just, you know, he, he, he's so effervescent and perky about things. Yeah. He just doesn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And and I enjoy that about Andy Circus. How about we portrayal. let you go, and you just promise not to tell anybody? Why don't you just shoot him here? Well, then we look like amateurs. <laughs> and I, he shoots him right in the back of the fucking head. Mm-hmm. What a dick! Yeah, and then that was a great exit. Oh, he's the patient. Okay, I get it. Yeah, awesome. And then while this is going on, uh, T'Challa has won. Uh, but now he needs to get his Black Panther powers back. And so we are introduced to the heart-shaped flower that is made from vibranium and the earth. And they give it to T'Challa. And they and bury him. The plane. And then he goes to visit the astral plane. One of the things about Black Panther in the comic books, he has a lot of different abilities. And one of them, they pretty much call him the king of the dead because the Black Panther, with his powers, can actually get advice and get information from the spirit world, from his ancestors. He actually can remember all of their experiences. And so visiting the spirit world is not just something they created for the movie. That's the way he is in the comic book. What did you think about the chat with his dad? Did we need it? I think we needed it in the, you know, later on, we have, you know, we revisit this two more times, the spirit world. Um, and it kind of, we didn't have this first one. The next ones wouldn't have made much sense. And I, I did kind of appreciate, I don't say, I don't think I would you know say I teared up, but I did kind of appreciate the fact that again, we're getting to see a little bit more human side of T'Challa that he doesn't feel he's ready to be king. He doesn't want to be king because he just wants his father back. Whereas other people would seize the power. They'd be excited to be king, you know, have all that, that 
power and, and rule over people. It's not what T'Challa is all about. And that's kind of, I think, what we get from this scene. Yeah, I suppose it is good to hear his awkwardness and his anxiety about stepping into this position. He's got to know that this has been coming for a long time, that his dad's not going to be around forever, and he's someday going to have to be the one to step in. And so to have him actually step into those shoes and have him hear that he has doubts about himself, I guess, is probably a part of what I was talking about a little bit ago, accepting that, you know, that he is human. So, yeah, I I guess it kind of works having that. And I know this this may not, you guys may not even really care about this part, but one of the things I liked about this is it's an introduction to like the afterlife in the Marvel Universe. We've actually been introduced now with uh, Thor Love and Thunder, three different afterlifes in the Marvel Universe. We had one in this movie, I think, which was the first time we got to see an afterlife. Moon Knight uh, gave us an example of the Egyptian afterlife, the TV series on Disney. And now Love and Thunder gave us Valhalla. So Mm -hmm. we've gotten, Marvel Universe is kind of expanding more into that afterlife aspect. After this, we have T'Challa and Nakia. They are visiting, and they happen to bring up a very thought-compelling point that is very much at the heart of where the conflict in this movie is, the future of Wakanda. Should we stay being just us, or do we push ourselves out into the outside world? We have everything. People around us have nothing. Right, and this becomes T'Challa's... It's his cross to bear. Yeah, it really is, and he knows that with the state of the world is in that Wakanda can help for sure. But old school thinking is you let the rest of the world in, you also let in their problems. And you bring up a great point in that this, you know, whether you can look at it a couple different ways, whether it's the mistake that all these ancestors have made by keeping Wakanda hidden, if they had not kept Wakanda hidden, Najobu would have basically maybe not have had that problems that he had may not have caused a problem, may, may have lived, and all of this would not have been a problem. They would have not created Killmonger. So it really brings up the idea of, was it a good thing they kept it hidden? Was it not a good thing? And at this point, it almost feels like T'Challa is going to follow in his father's footsteps and his ancestors' footsteps and make the same mistake again. I don't know if I necessarily got all of that from this scene. I think that just the way we are introduced to uh, T'Challa or the information we've been given about T'Challa, I think he was on the path to change it. I don't I don't think he was going to keep with the old traditions. Okay. Cuz I guess got the feeling like from, you know, the speech that we got at the beginning to now Nokia kind of saying we should be helping the world, we should be doing all this. It's just reinforcing what Najobu said in the beginning about, you know, we need to be out there and helping and we need to, you know, although he was suggesting more of a violent takeover, but if we had been out there helping, we wouldn't have all these problems. So now some new information claw might be apprehendable if they decide to act now and go to South Korea and try to get him. Right. And so they're in their council and uh, some of the elders are like, dude, you can't go. You're the king. You need to rule. But uh, T'Challa is very much um, determined to bring Claw to justice uh, in kind of honor of his father. He's been escaping uh, Wakanda justice for like 30 years. Also so. for his best friend who basically his parents got killed. Wakabi looks at T'Challa and says, you know, my brother, go get him. You yeah, know, I trust dead or alive. You, dead or alive. I trust you to go get him. And T'Challa says, I will not come back without him. 
but before they can go to South Korea, we have to have our James Bond Q moment. Totally. That's exactly what it felt like. And I it was meant to. Uh, Ryan Coogler said that, you know, when they read this bit in the script, he was like, oh, this is James Bond and Q for sure. And it was such a great scene. Uh, Shuri with all her technology and then the banter back and forth between brother and sister. Uh, just a great bit. Let me ask you this. Shuri is obviously brilliant. Is she smarter than Tony Stark? Uh, she is smarter than and Bruce Banner. Because remember when they're taking the stone out of the head, she goes, why didn't you just do this? And Banner goes, because we didn't think of it. <laughs> so I don't know if she's smarter than Tony Stark, but she's she's fucking brilliant. Well, depending on which director you ask, uh, Ryan basically says she is the smartest in the Marvel Universe. And she's only fucking 16 years old. Mm -hmm. I, I dug when Shiri, she's like, uh, so go ahead and... And kick it right there, or hit it really hard right there. Well, before that, I just want to bring up the fact that she looks at his sandals and makes a comment of, What are those? What are those? Which is kind of funny because, again, this is a statement about T'Challa and his focus on the traditions and things of the past. He wants to walk in your traditional garb, whereas she's all about technology and the future, and she's trying to push Wakanda into the future. So, again, this was all just a little statement that I think the director threw in. But I just love that moment right afterwards. It's like, why are you recording this? Did did you yeah. catch the For uh, education? The reference to Back to the Future. The shoes. The shoes about this is a the you know shoes like the movie that our father used to love to watch. Yeah, uh, I love the name of the shoes. Yeah, how many times in the Marvel universe have they dropped Back to the Future references? Twice. So this is where Shuri uh, introduces two new suits. She tells uh, T'Challa, your shit's old, you know, and he goes, but it doesn't mean it doesn't work. And she goes, just because it works doesn't mean that it can't be improved. And which is so, a big thing, a big theme in this movie. And which, so what happens is he gets his new suits and then we do the whole, uh, the suit that absorbs the power that you were talking about. I like the bit, like you were saying, when uh, he's all, why are you recording this? I thought that was a cute moment for sure. I like the fact that, you know, they talk about the two suits and one of the things T'Challa says is that the one with the gold is all flashy and stands out. He'll stick with the one that's more subtle and lets him hide in the shadows. And again, another statement about Wakanda. They don't want to stand out. They want to stay in the shadows. So he's, again, staying with the old traditions versus moving forward and, you know, joining the rest of the world. Yeah, I took it more that he's playing it safe. He, you know, he, he's taken the safe route. Yeah, me too. And come on, which one would you choose? You choose the silver one all day long. Oh, absolutely. So would I. Because it just looked cooler. Oh, <laughs> but obviously, you know, who wants to take Wakanda into the, the world? Eric Killmonger. And so, of course, which suit does he pick? The only one that was left. That's right. Uh, one of the things about the suit, again, going back to comic book references, the suit with the gold and the kind of the, the face that has the fangs and everything, that is a comic book reference to the leopard. Yeah, we also got to see a little bit of the leopard. I was noticing that when he during his ceremony that the, that the paint across his chest, he has leopard spots on him. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking about that as well. When uh, Black Panther originally came out, and this was actually uh, something that a lot of people have wondered about, where did Black Panther get its name? Did it get its name from the Black Panther movement? 
the Black Panther comic book, the first appearance actually came out, I believe, a couple of months before the Black Panther movement was founded. So it did not get its name. But when it came out and because of the Black Panther movement, um, they actually changed him to the Black Leopard for a while. So those spots were a reference to the fact that one time in the comic books, he was referred to as the Black Leopard. Yeah, I knew there had to be some reason for him to have those spots on there. Mm-hmm. But Killmonger in the comic book also had a leopard sidekick that he named Prey. So there was a lot to that character of him being the leopard. So they go to South Korea and they go into this club. Cas- casino. This casino. Does the casino look familiar? I have to say it did. And I, and I was trying to place where do I know it from and it's... I think is it a James Bond movie? It is. Okay, wait. Okay, well, okay. Let me. I don't know for sure. I haven't done any research on it, but I'm willing to bet that it's the same casino as Skyfall. That's what I was thinking of, where he comes in on the boat with all the candles. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just because of the way it's shaped, it's a cool looking casino, and this is a great scene. Uh, they go undercover to uh, retrieve Claw because they find out that he's going to sell the vibranium that he just stole to Bilbo Baggins. I got to say the entire time that we're in South Korea, I just dug the vibe, the beat of the music, all the neon colors, you know, the blues, the, 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 the lavenders. So cool. So stylish. Oh yeah. hundred percent. One thing I thought was a little crazy about this whole scene and this whole setup and something kind of Julie pointed out too was you know, they come to what looks like a fish market or something, yeah. kind of a, a backwoods kind of, you know, a back alley kind of place. They go in, they go through a bunch of plastic sheets, and they're in this rich, fancy casino. And she's like, I can't believe that place was, you know, behind those plastic curtains. Then when they come back out, you notice all of those sports cars and just really rich-looking vehicles are all parked out front of this fish market. I think that would be kind of a tip-off of something. Probably not. Not in South Korea. You don't think so? No, not at all. And so they go into the casino and T'Challa recognizes Ross uh, because we saw him in Civil War. So it was nice to see Martin Freeman come back and reprise the role. And immediately they're like, Claw's mine. No, he's mine. No, he's mine. Let's work together. No, he's mine. And it was a good dynamic there with those two. And then uh, Claw shows up with his posse. One of the things I really liked you talk about that dynamic is I almost feel like we were getting Coulson back, you know, kind of that dynamic of that agent sidekick who kind of is a side character where he sometimes takes a more active role or sometimes he's just off in the distance. And the first time we met Everett in Civil War, uh, he was kind of a side character. He played a little bit of parts here and there. Uh, but now it's really good to get him see, get to see him make that more active role. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, uh, Colson, I never thought about that. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. I thought about that. I I, I, th- I felt similarly that he had sort of a Colson vibe to him. So once uh once we have Claw and his posse show up, I love the way they just walk through the metal detectors. They don't even slow down in every single one of deet deet. I love the confidence and arrogance that Claw just exudes. He's well, so funny. Totally. When you talked about earlier about your favorite MCU bad guy, I almost want to say Claw is my favorite. He's he's in it for two minutes. I know. That's the one thing that really frustrated me about this movie. Sure. Is, you know, spoiler alert, they kill him off in this movie. I want 
more Claw. I wanted to see him come back. I loved him in Ultron and that little bit we got of him in Ultron. I love the fact they gave him a lot more in this movie. I, I, I want him to come back. So I'm hoping in the comic books, he does come back as a completely Sonic character. So I'm hoping that they somehow bring him back, that maybe that's what he did with his billions of dollars he got from Ultron. Pandemonium ensues. The fight breaks out. I love when uh, Everett asks, you know, do you have the vibranium? And uh, Claw had it down his pants. <laughs> pulls it out of his pants. That's so funny. That well, I love the response of, because Cole, you know, Everett has that big, Briefcase, well, I was going to buy, you know, I thought about buying a really expensive briefcase to carry in. This seemed more practical. He said, why spend the money? (laughs) And then he slams it down on the table or whatever. And it it says fragile. (laughs) He wrote fragile on the bag. Yeah, it's it's good humor. Mm -hmm. Good humor. Claw Claw was a fun bad guy. And then uh, they figure out that the Wakandans are there. A chase ensues. Uh, What did you guys think of this whole chase sequence? Loved it. Yeah. Pretty badass, right? I thought of many of the Marvel movies, this is one of the best chase scenes. Yeah. Oh, my God. They flipped a lot of fucking cars. Yeah. Yeah. And you know that they were all practical flips. During the chase scene, I don't know why, makes me giggle every time. You know, we got Suri, who's remote control, you know, driving the car that uh, T'Challa's hanging on the top of all that. And at one point, T'Challa flips off, deals with the bad guys, throws one of the bad guys on the road. And obviously, Suri, I don't think she can see the people or the bodies or whatever, and she runs him over. What was like, that? What, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> I just love that. And he's, he, he never explains it to her. Uh, the one that makes me chuckle is when Okoye and Nakia are chasing Claw, and Claw uses his arm cannon and blows up the car, and you have this great special effects shot with Okoye going through the air, catching her spear, sliding, skidding like on the hood of the car, and then uh, you uh, and then you see Nakia just in the driver's seat and the steering Scratching. wheel, nothing else. Yeah, yeah, it comes sliding down the road. You know what never clicked for me until I think this last viewing was why did it just so happen that the car fell apart like that? It didn't blow up. Uh, didn't like break apart. I know it's made of vibranium. Why did it just go to pieces like that? But then I started thinking about it. They mentioned that the hand cannon uh, is basically a mining instrument. It's a mining, not really a weapon. It's a mining tool from Wakanda. And we learned from Shuri explaining later on that they use kind of a magnetic thing that, that turns off vibranium. It kind of deactivates the abilities of vibranium so when he shot at the car it deactivated the vibranium and made the car fall apart it was a it was spectacular to watch that car dissolve Mm -hmm. yeah then once again loved all during the chase all those splashes of neon colors reflecting off of the cars and and on all the buildings around it was just so vibrant looking yeah yeah and it culminates with t'challa capturing claw Mm -hmm. and T'Challa's ready to take him out right then and there. But cooler heads prevail. And just like in today's world, anything you do outside, people are going to have their cameras. He takes a look around and there's like a hundred cameras. Yeah. And I love uh, Claw really plays into it, right? Yeah. Mercy. Show me mercy. You know what I mean? He's so fun. Yeah. Another kind of callback to the comic books is the line that Black Panther gives, which is every breath you take is a mercy from me. Yeah. He actually says that in the comic books during a famous scene, uh, basically Wakanda goes to war 
with Atlantis, goes to war with Namor, and Namor destroys Wakanda. And there's a scene where later on, uh, T'Challa is having his revenge on Namor, and he says to Namor, as he spares his life, every breath you take is a mercy from me. Right after the car dissolves, one other little bit I like, Ross pulling up. What's Ross doing pulling up? And he's just so nonchalant. Hop in. Yeah, so they have to finish the chase. Spear in the trunk. You put the spear in the trunk. That's right. They capture Claw, and now we're going to get the interrogation scene. And, well, here's you know, T'Challa and Ross are kind of battling over who gets custody of him. And in T'Challa's mind, there is no there is no question he's taking him. Right. One of the things, too, when they're capturing him, right before that, during the when uh, Claw shoots uh, T'Challa with the sonic cannon, with the mining uh, cannon, did you catch the bit of foreshadowing in that? He shoots T'Challa in the Black Panther suit, and you can see on the corner up by his shoulder, the suits start to dissolve a little bit, which is also later on in the movie where T'Challa gets the idea of battling on the train tracks that this will turn off the, the suit. Right. right. I have to reluctantly give that to you, John. That's a, that's a great foreshadowing point. Thank you, Ken. Well, what do you think of this interrogation of... They're going to play good cop, cop. bad cop, yeah, bad yeah, cop, yeah. bad cop. We're just going to take him as is. Yeah. Well, I mean, the only one that gets to uh, interview him is uh, Ross. And so uh, Claw starts spilling all the secrets. You oh, think all he, the secrets. You think you know Wakanda? You don't know Wakanda. This is what Wakanda really is. And so now Ross has some questions. You know what I mean? The scene is also great for more just in-depth into Okoye. Uh, in the fact of, you know, she's speaking, you know, Wakandan to uh, T'Challa, basically saying, like, if he touches you again, I will pierce him and nail him to the desk. And then he says, I'm like, does she speak English when she wants to? Yeah. I just, I just love more of her character, more of her development. Yeah. So Killmonger puts some C4 on the brick. And again, with this score, that's coming in, and he breaks Claw out of jail. But in the meantime, Everett gets shot, saving Nakia. Mm-hmm. And so now there's a dilemma. Does T'Challa go after Killmonger, or do they try and help Ross? So they take Ross back to Wakanda, and in the meantime, we get to find out that, uh, you know, Killmonger and Claw and the two others, they're going to an airfield um, because... Uh, Claw's going to escape or go to a third world country and he's talking to Killmonger and Mil- uh, Killmonger's like, I know you'll pay me, you're good for it, blah, blah, blah. And then Killmonger says, I want you to take me to Wakanda. And you're kind of like, what, why? And uh, it turns out that Killmonger had this double cross in mind the entire time. So he lands up shooting Claw, shooting the girl he's with and shooting the other accomplice guy. And I thought to myself, this is one cold-hearted motherfucker. Yeah, he shot his own girlfriend. And I was with you, John, for once. I didn't want to see Claw go that quick. I thought he was fun. I understand why they did it and why they had to do it. But on the flip side of that coin, I was really enjoying him. Andy Serkis is so fun. I got to say, even when... Yeah, we're going to get this in tomorrow when we get to the next paragraph. But even though, you know, just the shoot and it's off screen because we don't really get to see him get shot and killed, I'm thinking there's going to be some kind of twist here. There's going to be some way he's going to be brought back that 
you know, maybe they had a double, another body, or maybe he's not really dead or something that we're, you know, this isn't it for him and not until we see the body. Denial is not just another river in Egypt, but I'm sorry. While Shuri heals Ross, T'Challa confronts Zuri about Najobu. Zuri explains that Najobu planned to share Wakanda's technology with people of African descent around the world to help them conquer their oppressors. As T'Chaka arrested Najobu, the latter attacked Zuri and forced T'Chaka to kill him. T'Chaka ordered Zuri to lie that Najobu had disappeared and left behind Najobu's American son to maintain the lie. This boy grew up to be Stevens, a black ops U.S. Navy SEAL who adopted the name Killmonger. Meanwhile, Killmonger kills Claw and takes his body to Wakanda. He is brought before the tribal elders, revealing his identity to be Najadaka and stating his claim to the throne. Killmonger challenges T'Challa to ritual combat, where he kills Zuri, badly injures T'Challa, and hurls him over a waterfall to his presumed death. Killmonger ingests the heart-shaped herb and orders the rest incinerated, but Nakia extracts ones first. Killmonger, supported by Wakabi and his army, prepared to distribute shipments of Wakandan weapons to operatives around the world. So we get this big reveal when we have Zuri finally coming clean to T'Challa, what really happened, and who potentially Killmonger is. When you saw the flashback of what happened and how uh, Najobu, how he actually died, did you think that it had to go that way? Because I didn't feel like he had to kill him. He first knocks the gun out of his hand or knocks, you know, moves the gun and then puts the claw in his chest. I feel like all he had to do was take away the gun. Well, then you don't have Killmonger. Yeah, but I'm just wondering, it just seemed like it was a little bit excessive to me, in my opinion. Like That was one of the scenes that just didn't fit right for me. And I, I totally didn't agree with leaving the boy behind like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I completely disagreed with that. Yeah, well, the king did what he thought was best at the time and bury those secrets yeah so he buries it and it turns out that killmonger knew it all and his whole reason for going to wakanda and fighting for the throne is um revenge yeah a hundred percent the the next thing that happens is killmonger shows up at the frontier of wakanda and he is uh confronted by uh najobu no by Wakabi, and he has the corpse of the person that's been stealing their vibranium. And I thought it was kind of weird that it just so happens the guy who really wants to see Claw dead is the one that's at the border, but then again, he is the part of the border tribe, so I guess it does make sense. He's like the leader of the border tribe. He's, so. he, he's the first, he's the first uh, line of defense. First mm-hmm. line of defense, thank you. It all, it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. It all works. I like the fact that Wakabi looks at Claw and then looks at Killmonger and immediately within Daniel Kaluuya's face, the guy who plays Wakabi, you can see him start to doubt T'Challa already and is already liking this guy because he's just given him what he wanted. And that was brilliant of Killmonger. Well, this Killmonger's is, a smart motherfucker. Mm-hmm. This story is so smartly written. Oh, 100%. The writing in this is just so well done. So Killmonger goes to the throne room, and he, you know, comes in, and everyone thinks he's an outsider, but T'Challa knows who he is. Uh, T'Challa saw his grandfather's ring around his neck as they were making the escape when they uh, rescued Claw. So 
T'Challa kind of has an idea of what's going to happen. Did you read about uh, Michael B. Jordan's, like, the inspiration that he took or the how he prepared for this particular scene? He basically went into it. He set his mind to thinking of that he's from, like, a low-income housing walking into his rich cousin's house for Thanksgiving. And that's the attitude he went into that throne room with. Oh, he played it like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, we have Ross waking up and he talks a little bit with Sherry and he finds out the truth about the vibranium in Wakanda. Right. And then also at the same time, T'Challa, he is incognito and they are desperate to get a hold of him because Killmonger yeah, it's shown up with some bad news. Mm-hmm. This whole scene with the th- throne room, I don't know. Again, I read like an interview with the director, and he actually saw this scene as T'Challa making the same mistake that his father had made and his previous ancestors had made in that when uh, Killmonger first breaks into the throne room and comes in, T'Challa could have admitted everything that he already knew. He could have told the whole story. He could have also approached uh, Kelmonger and said, let's talk about this. You are one of our people. You know, let's embrace him. Instead, he treated him like an intruder and basically... Take you know, him away. Someone who just basically had to be hidden and taken away. And so they're saying that this is the scene where really T'Challa is committing the same crime. So here we are. We're at the waterfall again. Yeah, another fight. And there was no doubt in my mind T'Challa loses. Totally. Because that's the story arc that we need. And unfortunately, at this bit, and as much as I'm loving what I'm watching with the music and everything, I'm just waiting for T'Challa to lose. This was the big thing. I know it's going to happen. This was the big thing I was talking about earlier about where the music and the instruments really come into effect. Uh, and I was watching the scene over and over again with someone who was analyzing it online in that you notice in the beginning of the fight, you hear a lot of drums, which is T'Challa's instrument. You, he, you know, he's winning the fight, so the drums are just powerful. When Killmonger starts taking over the battle and starts winning, the drums are gone. There's no more drums, and it's all flute music, which is Killmonger's music. And I love that the director worked that in that way, that it's almost like the two instruments are battling as long with these two characters. So, uh, now I'm your King. Uh, Killmonger gets the upper hand. He's going to kill T'Challa, but Zuri jumps in, which you knew what was coming. Yeah. And, uh, totally. And he gets killed and, you know, T'Challa tries to avenge him to no avail. And T'Challa gets thrown over the fucking, Waterfall. And everything comes down like a house of cards. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, Nakia gets the queen and Siri out of there because she knows that they are, you know, in trouble. And poor Okoye, right? She has no choice. She is... She is bound to her duty. And the duty is to protect the king. And right now, Killmonger is the king. Mm-hmm. I just thought that Killmonger, that Michael B. Jordan, he was just so powerful during this this entire build-up scene, you He's, know, fr- from the throne room out to the waterfall, and then he is now the king. Oh, he was so good in this. He's so powerful through the whole fucking thing. Yeah. That's why he's one of my top three favorite Marvel villains, for sure. One of the things he says after he becomes king and all that and is in the throne room is, you know, he's talking about his ultimate plan of how they're going to 
distribute all the weapons out to the war dogs, to distribute them out to all the people, is that he states that the sun will never set on Wakanda Empire. And this ends up getting revisited at the end of the movie. So we'll remember that line. And so as T'Challa did earlier, now Killmonger has to visit the astral plane. And, you know, him and his dad have a an interesting conversation. You know what I mean? Uh, his dad can probably, from what I took of it, his dad can see that, you know, Killmonger's up to no good. And, um, you know, he just, his dad just wanted him to be the best that he could be, but it didn't work out for that side of the family. And so, uh, Killmonger has, his goal has, has never wavered, right? Get revenge for his dad, take over Wakanda and then go take over the world. And that's what he wants to do. Did you catch the key differences in this spirit world? Versus T'Challa when he visited the spirit wall. Yeah, one's inside and one's outside. The interesting things I noticed, I didn't really notice it until, again, this viewing, was if you looked out the window, you could see the spirit world that that T'Challa had visited. But if you also looked at the window, there were prison bars on the window to basically say that Najobu's... uh, is being, you know, separated from the rest of his ancestors for his crimes. Yeah. I'm glad it showed the scene with him finding his dad's stuff and and the 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 secret books, you know, that that had that other language stuff in it because I'm thinking how in the heck does Killmonger know so much about Wakanda society when he hasn't been there before? He seemed to be awfully comfortable really fast saying I'm the king and and then just going with it. Well, he had spent years and years and years preparing for that moment. Yeah, but... And it had to start from somewhere, and he got the information from his dad. Yeah, and so that's why I appreciated having that for this. It's like, oh, he got that stuff through his dad's stuff. Okay. If you also freeze frame on the book, there is in there a cipher that explains the Wakandan language. So that's how he learned the Wakandan language. The other thing that's in there is is coordinates to Wakanda, which actually show up in a previous movie. I think it's one of the Avengers movies. It's in a back screen where they show on a map of Africa where Wakanda is. If you look at those longitude and latitude coordinates from the book, they match up to that screen exactly. They did that on purpose. Nerds. And so after Killmonger uh, gets the powers of the Black Panther, he does probably the smartest thing any villain has done in any movie. Burn that shit. That's right. Burn it all. Why give someone else the chance to be Black Panther when I can just burn it all and be the only one? Fucking brilliant. But what he didn't count on was Nakia thinking the same thing and needing that they needed the the plant. So she comes in and she grabs one for herself. And then after he does that, he puts together his war plan and Wakanda is getting ready to go to war. Fucking love the intro. The enter of him coming back into the throne room the as way king. That, with the, with the, the camel tilts and yes. goes 360. The, the camera starts upside down. And as he comes walking in, that music playing, and Ugh. then we have that slow swivel. Yep. Probably oh. my favorite shot of the movie. So sexy. Yeah, it really is. Would you say that that's kind of supposed to be symbolized, you know, the world is turning upside down? or That's exactly what it he's is. He's flipping, flipping the scale. That the world has turned upside down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Nakia, Shuri, Ramonda, and Ross flee to the Jabari tribe for aid. They find a comatose T'Challa rescued by the Jabari in repayment for sparing M'Baku's life. Healed by Nakia's herb, T'Challa returns to fight Killmonger, who dons his nanotech suit similar to T'Challa's. Wakabi and his army fight Shuri, Nakia, and the Dora Milaje, while Ross remotely pilots a jet and shoots down planes carrying vibranium weapons. M'Baku and the Jabari arrive to reinforce T'Challa. Confronted by Okoye, Wakabi and his army stand down. Fighting in Wakanda's vibranium mine, T'Challa disrupts Killmonger's suit and stabs him. Killmonger refuses to be healed, choosing to die a free man rather than be incarcerated. T'Challa shows him the Wakanda sunset and Killmonger dies peacefully. T'Challa establishes an outreach center at the building where Nabjobu died to be run by Nakia and Shuri. In a mid credit scene, T'Challa appears before the United Nations to reveal Wakanda's true nature to the world. In a post credit scene, Shuri helps Bucky Barnes with his recovery. Roll credits. You know what I did like uh, when they brought Ross to Shuri? Did you notice her offhanded comment? Colonizer? No, you brought me another, another broke. You, you brought me another, another broken, broken white boy, boy to work on. Yeah, referring to Bucky. Mm-hmm. I yeah, thought that was cute. Yeah, the Queen, Shiri, Nakia, they all flee with Ross, and uh, Nakia goes to Okoye and says, "Come on, we got to go." And you know, this is where they split because again, mm-hmm. Okoye is loyal to Wakanda, and so they go naturally to the only place they can go, and they go to the Jabari, and they go see Mbaku. And they offer him the plant because they feel like at this point, he's the only one that can stand up to Killmonger. Well, an interesting thing with this is they make a reference to if you offer it to him, you might be making a bigger monster than, you know, we have with Killmonger, which is is kind of funny, especially from a comic book uh, viewpoint in that Manape is a villain in the comic books. He is the one of the arch nemesis of the Black Panther. Did you catch though earlier on in the movie? Throughout the movie, they talk about Bast, which is the Panther goddess that the Wakandans look to as their god, as their goddess is is Bast. When we are introduced to Mbaku in the beginning, he talks about. I can't remember the name of it. Starts with an H, but he makes a reference to his god and the god of his people, which is actually the Hindu monkey god. So they go and. They offer the flower to M'Baku, but M'Baku says, uh, maybe you should check this out first. And it turns out that they found T'Challa. Shocker! He's alive! Did you see this coming? Yes. Oh. Didn't you? Of course I did. Well, Thanks, I, Marvel. I just like that they kept him on ice. What struck me funny about this scene is they see T'Challa. He is in ice. And, you know, uh, Shuri or Nakia or someone says, we got to get him back to the lab. And M'Baku's like, yeah, he'll, it's the only thing that's keeping him alive. Yeah, you do that and he'll be dead, he'll be dead in minutes. Right. And so they have to make the potion. So they give T'Challa the wake-up juice. He goes back to the spirit world. And talks, talks to dad. And talks down to his dad. He, he tells his dad, the, you know, you screwed up. I mean, he kept saying, why, 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 why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? And his dad was like, well, I did it for Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't go back and change it. So fucking get over it, kid. And he's like, no, you guys fucked up and I'm going to fix things. That's yeah. why I can't be here with you because I got to go, f- you know, fix all your screw ups. Yeah, that's right. And so he wakes up 
And uh, Killmonger is getting ready to launch his invasion. And T'Challa, Shiri, Nakia, and Ross, they show up at the palace. Well, what do you think of the big reintroduction to the Black Panther that we see the big, the ship explode and we get the music and he comes back up on top of the thing. I thought that was kind of, you know, the big heroic theme kind of right there. It's a great shot, and it's cool, and I like what he says. You know, I never yielded. The challenge so, is not complete. Right, but I love Killmonger's response. Yeah. Fuck that. I'm king. Yeah. You can fuck off. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know what? That's how I would be. <laughs> so, naturally, we have to have the fights. I want to talk about the General Okoye turning on Killmonger, right? Because... She wasn't ready to do that, but now she says that you are unfit. And so now she represents all of Wakanda, that she has unilaterally made that decision. Well, I kind of took it as two different points here. One, that she either just turns on the current king, or two, the expressions she had on her face when she saw that T'Challa was still alive, in her mind, maybe a switch was flipped of, this isn't the current king, He's still the king until the challenge is over. I can go back to serving him. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Because technically, Killmonger didn't win. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So as soon as, it was almost a, well, it was a look of relief because Okoye loved um, or loves T'Challa as a person Mm -hmm. and as a king, blah, blah, blah. But not only that, but now she's like, oh, thank God. Yeah, you she, know, now I can go fight this fucker because he's not really the king. Yeah, and she's still she's not betraying Wakanda, not betraying her oath. One hundred percent. And but the only problem with that whole thing is though, Killmonger has the special juice and the special suit. So yeah, that's a daunting task. Yeah. Did you think at any time that Nokia or Shuri were in danger when Killmonger were going was going after them? No, it's Marvel. <laughs> I kind of thought that maybe Nakia was going to get killed. I thought maybe when he threw her that maybe that was going to be another one of those. She either landed on something or she got cut enough that she's bleeding out that whole time. And that that was kind of how they were going to, you know, they always seem to get rid of love interests that way. Well, I was noticing that it was very marvelly that somebody just got hurtled 60, 80 yards and then they're like, ah, and they kind of sort of shake it off and they get up. What did we just talk about that on? We just talked about that, didn't we? Probably. Uh, yeah, how someone can get thrown across the room and then just get right up. Yeah. And so before all that happened, when they were at the Jabari, they asked M'Baku to fight with them, and M'Baku said no. But we we knew what was going to happen. You, of course we did, because it's becoming formulaic. Mm-hmm. We knew that, especially because you start hearing that, and you you know what that means, especially when they're all being rounded up and it looks like the the good guys are losing and you know someone's right around the corner. This leads into one of my biggest gripes about the movie, which is you mentioned about we get to the final fight between Killmonger and T'Challa as they're falling down the big mine shaft kind of thing and... T'Challa does this big loop-de-loop, the intro to the fight. To me, that looked so CGI that it kind of took me out of it a little bit. Oh, there was a lot of this that looked really CGI. So this movie cost $200 million to make, right? And a chunk of that, a big chunk of that had to be the CGI. Well, if that's what we got. I mean, it's, it's good. It's passable. But you're right. There are bits in here that kind of take you out of it, it a little almost, bit. It almost made me think of intro into the Spider-Verse uh, in that, it almost looked that quality to me. Like it was almost cartoony 
in the way that they were initially fighting. Yeah. So they fight, they go, they square up one-to-one. T'Challa knows that he can use the magnet thingamadoodle down in the mines to deactivate the vibranium in the suits. And, you know, he does. He lands up uh, stabbing Killmonger. And I, I appreciated Killmonger's line as soon as he does get stabbed. That was a good move. Yeah. Hell of a move. Yeah. And it was just it shows that the respect that Killmonger has for T'Challa as a warrior. Yeah. Uh, but you bring up a point. He stabs him and then starts talking, you know, about what his father had said to him and about how beautiful Wakanda was. And I think he was kind of coming to the realization that in all this time, you know, in his mission and everything, he never took a time to appreciate where he was and appreciate that he was finally seeing what his father wanted him to see. And, you know, T'Challa, again, showing mercy, showing forgiveness, instead of just leaving him there to die, kind of like the father, you know, his father had just left the boy. He takes him up into that elevator, up so he can see the sunset, which is what I was mentioning earlier when Killmonger said, the sun will never set on Wakanda, but here the sun is setting on him. Uh, this is a great shot. And this is this is what drives me nuts too is that they killed Killmonger. They had such a great villain, and Marvel gets criticized all the time about their villains. Yeah, they do. So they come in and they fucking drop the hammer with Killmonger, and then they kill him off. He had a very poetic death, and I loved his last comment about you know he doesn't want to die in bondage. You know he wants to die. You know like his ancestors. He wants to die a free man. Yeah, and the other thing about him dying, he dies seemingly with no regrets. And he does it to himself. He's the one that pulls out the knife. Yep. Even though T'Challa says, let us heal you. He's like, why? So he can lock me up later? So, yeah, it it was a very poignant death. And so uh, while this was all going on, they had to stop the supply ships from leaving Wakanda. And so uh, Ross, being the old pilot that he was, gets a VR... Uh, Wakanda ship and uh, shoots them all down just in the nick of time. I thought this bit was was pretty good too. It gave Ross something to do. Mm-hmm. It showed his quality, and now he's Team Wakanda. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and he's ready to be their ally. And then we also have Wakabi bringing out those rhinoceroses, and I totally dug how that rhinoceros is just bearing down on Okoye, and he just screeches to a halt right in front of her and gives her a big old lick. Yeah. Well, it's funny thing about that scene. He's actually bearing down on Mbaku at first, and Okoye jumps in front right, of it. Right, right. And that's when he thought because you got the feeling earlier on that these rhinos love her. Oh, absolutely. I think everybody loves her. Mm-hmm. Okoye was the shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She's such a badass. Yeah, and and it's and it's such a great. Uh, I like the the dialogue between Okoye and Wakabi. Right? Uh, did you kill me, my love? And she said, for Wakanda? With no question. Yeah, she flips around that spear right at him. And so the day is won, and Wakanda is saved. And they're in the square, and T'Challa is talking to Nakia, and she says, stay. He's pretty much telling her, I love you. Be my queen. Stay. I have an idea of how you can help. And then uh, we cut to Oakland again. Uh, But this time, uh, Shiri's there with... T'Challa and they're starting their Wakanda outreach program and it ends. It it was, it was a nice little ending. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice that they had in that scene had kind of 
teased a little bit that we were almost going to get an original Iron Man scene where the boy comes up and asks, who are you? And, you know, Chadwick Bozik just kind of smiles. I totally noticed it. It was very subtle, right? Mm-hmm. He he didn't have to say, I am Black Panther. He just smiles. And then in that, uh, and then another mid-credit sequence, uh, they go before the UN and they say, we're going to start sharing our technology, blah, blah, blah. And then people are laughing at them. They're saying, Wakanda's a third world country. What the fuck are you going to yeah, do? What are farmers going to give us? Yeah. And then, you know, there's just that sly smirk. And then uh, the last one. The uh, end credit. The, the very end credit, uh, we see that at the end of Civil War, Cap took Bucky to Wakanda, and now we see that Shuri has cured him of all the Hydra nonsense, and he's living on Wakanda. Yeah, and he's going by the, now instead of being the Winter Soldier, he's the White Wolf. He's the White Wolf. Which is another comic book callback. How many uh, Academy Awards was Black Panther nominated for? They were nominated for a total of seven Academy Awards. Seven Academy Awards. Is that the record for most nominations? No. You know what I did find? I was awestruck that Return of the King was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, and it won all 11 Academy Awards. Did someone say Return of the King? Oh, Oh, shit. shit. And now it's time for John's... Moment. This is the point in our podcast where I take whatever movie we are reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. And Black Panther is no different. Let's start with Frodo. Frodo is T'Challa. He's on a journey of self-discovery as he goes from prince to king and learns what it takes to be a great king. So it basically the movie really is about his journey. Uh, Sam T'Challa's Frodo, that would be Shuri. She's always there for her brother, has his back, and is a key to helping him accomplish his mission. Okoye, she was a tough one. I'm going to have to go with Legolas. She is a warrior with impeccable skills and aim. Like the elf, she's calm, focused, even during extreme battles. Shuri was also a tough one. For her, I'm going to say she's Gimli. Although she is a techno wizard and serves as a guide to her brother in some cases, she does have some Gandalf qualities. It's her snarky counters to her brother and the fact that, you know, she's right there with him in the, you know, in the battles that makes her more Gimli-like. For Gandalf, I'm going to pick Zuri. He's wise, acts as a guide, and is willing to sacrifice his own life to protect T'Challa. Aragorn, well... I'm also going to go with T'Challa for him, the man who would be king. He has all the Aragorn qualities, a man who is reluctant to be king, has a good heart, natural leadership ability, fearless, and only wants to do right by his people. That would make Nokia his Arwen. She's T'Challa's love interest, but she's also a badass warrior in her own right. In Lord of the Rings, it's the direction both Aragorn and Arwen are traveling that keep them apart. And similarly, in Black Panther, this has put T'Challa and Nakia traveling in different directions. But in the end, they come together. Everett K. Ross. He kind of has a sort of patriarch feel to him. He's a reluctant hero who by the end is a huge reason why the heroes won. For that reason, I felt he had a lot of Bilbo Baggins qualities. M'Baku? Well, 
I went with Theoden for him. He's a king in his own right, and a man whose main goal is what's in the best interest of his own people. Like Theoden, started on the wrong path when we met him. He was being mind-controlled by Saruman. When M'Baku first challenges T'Challa, he later aids him, bringing him and his countrymen to help with the good fight. Saruman in this movie is Eric Killmonger. He uses his power, skills, and trickery to achieve his goals, often employing others to help him on his mission to rule the world. It's Eric's manipulation that leads Wakabi down the wrong path into helping him, making him Saruman the White. He started out on the side of good, but the dark powers corrupted his good intentions, leading him down a dark path. The only one left is Ulysses Claw. While he is both entertaining as he is dangerous and corrupt, Ulysses is also all about himself. He covets riches and powers, and he doesn't care who he hurts to obtain what's most precious to him. Therefore, Claw is Gollum. Now, what is the precious? What is the one ring? It's the need for vengeance and revenge. It's what drives Killmonger to dethrone T'Challa and become king. It's the corruption of his character that leads to its ultimate defeat. At no time is T'Challa tempted by the power, by the power aspect of his position. So at no time is he tempted by that revenge, by that corruption. And that's what keeps him focused and grounded enough to complete his journey. So there you have it. My comparison between Lord of the Rings and Black Panther. Bring on the grades. Not bad. Uh, I think uh, nailed it with Claw and Gollum and Bilbo and Ross. Weird. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I thought it was fine. I'm going to give you a C. For me, I think that the, the Gollum angle works, and I, and I think also I, I like the Legolas and the Gimli as well. I'm going to give it a B. Well, there you go. Well, thank you, sir. A C and a B. And that was John's... Moment. All right, so what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? I think we should rate this bitch. Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that is cinematic gold. It is something that you are ready to watch anytime somebody says, do you want to watch that? Yes, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you saw it for whatever reason you saw it, but it has no redeeming qualities that make you ever want to see it again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is where somebody owes me two hours of my life back. In other words, we just don't give a fuck. Uh, who wants to go first? I can go first. Okay, buddy, go ahead. Wakanda Forever. It's a chant that is very much ingrained in this movie. And more, just, more than just a mantra for the people, I feel like it's a statement about the movie. After watching this movie, you want more of Wakanda. You want more of Black Panther. You will want Wakanda Forever. It's a movie that broke so many boundaries and is very entertaining and engaging. I could just sit here and gush over the casting, the locations, the script, and the music, but I feel like we've already done that so much in this movie. The costumes were incredible. All of the awards were much deserved, and I feel like maybe they should have won a few more. Of all the Marvel movies, just like I said in the beginning, this is one of them in my top five. This is a movie that I could revisit over and over and enjoy just as much as the first time I saw it. It both connects to the larger Marvel Universe and also succeeds in being a standalone picture. I feel like this is one of those movies that you don't have to see any of the other Marvel movies to still enjoy this movie just as much. 
I also love the fact that it really does do well to complement the comic book version, you know, of this character and of the world. It, again, it just worked out so great. I will take a sec to gush over Chadwick Boseman. When I first heard his casting for the Captain America movie, I knew nothing about him. After seeing him in that movie, I couldn't wait for the Black Panther movie to come out, and it didn't dis- disappoint. I'm just terribly sad that we won't get more of Chadwick in this role. Rest in peace. He was both perfect casting for T'Challa and a great actor, and from the stories I've heard, an amazing human being, a true hero all around. The only thing that makes me concerned about this movie is that all future Marvel movies, especially Black the Black Panther series will be compared to this one. It's set such a high bar. And it's for that reason, I'm giving Black Panther 4.5 fucks. 4.5 fucks from the comic book guy. Yeah, I'll go next. Thanks for asking. Okay, cool. Why don't you fucking go next? I think I will. Okay, go. Well, would you let me? Well, will you get going? Black Panther, I think, is one of Marvel's strongest movies and it is arguably in probably my top five i don't know if it would actually break number five or not it's been a little while since i've revisited a couple of those top five movies in my head but it is a fantastic movie and it is such an enjoyable watch it is such rich storytelling i really appreciated how we have the rise of black panther in the superhero uh journey that he's on because we don't have somebody that got bitten by a radioactive spider or they had these responsibilities thrust onto them necessarily or they get tested and then through some sort of super serum or something like that or or that you know you have a ton of money and you're able to create your own superhero suit instead it is through his lineage that he is earning his way to be a superhero and I really appreciated that about the story arc. I also thought that this movie did a really nice job of giving us our two very distinct views of what Wakanda could be. In one aspect, it's a little bit like comparing Martin Luther King to Malcolm X. You have Martin Luther King with a peaceful approach, and Malcolm X, it's more of a violent approach. And with that, it's a wonderful pairing to have the future of Wakanda either in T'Challa or in Killmonger. And Killmonger, I totally buy this character, and I am so willing to say that I totally get where you're coming from because he is somebody that has the, the resolve and the conviction to push forward and make his own destiny be only because the world has shit on him so hard. And having him push his way through this and then wanting this new vision for Wakanda, it's like, you know what? I get it. He's tired of being put down and beat down. And he lived in a world of poverty before his dad got killed. And I just totally bought why he ended up the way he was because he lost his dad the way that he did. And he didn't have it. I didn't see any sign of mom, which means he was probably an orphan. And he ends up having to make his own way through the military. And I, I get why he's so pissed off once he finds out what really happened. And because of this, I feel like it really moves the story along very well. I thought that we had a really strong 
female cast in this movie, how these characters have such conviction and, and they are such strong characters that they don't shirk away from anything. Shuri, Okoye, Nakia. I, I love these characters and I totally dug how flashy the whole Wakanda look was. It was so vibrant, and I thought that the city of Wakanda, it looked futuristic, but it didn't necessarily look science fiction-y or otherworldy. And I thought that was a really nice balance for them to have this. Oh my gosh, the music, we've talked about it before. Some of the music in this was just so spot on, and I just dug the, the, the aesthetic, the look that accompanies the music in several of the scenes, and it is just played out so wonderfully. And so I, I just think it's a delight to watch, and it I don't think that it feels long. It I think it moves along in a really comfortable pace. I think that this movie is a really good movie that I could watch pretty much any time, but I will say that I feel like that it's not necessarily five fucks. So I'm going to back off just a little bit and go with 4.75 fucks. 4.75 fucks from the professor. You're turned on. Hey, thanks, buddy. Would you please start? Okay. Yeah. Go, Don. Okay. It was a fun and refreshing take on a character that I knew existed but knew nothing about. Marvel did a smart thing by introducing us to Black Panther in Civil War and then dropping us in Wakanda with him already established. They did the same thing with Spider-Man, incidentally. We didn't need a traditional origin story to take us backwards. Instead, we got to continue with Chachala from where we met him. And I, for one, appreciated that. Black Panther is definitely in my top 10 of Marvel movies. I love the look and feel of Wakanda. The world Coogler built was just simply beautiful. I love the cast. You can't say enough about the cast. Chadwick Boseman, Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger, one of my top three villains. And what made him so dangerous was he believed he was doing the right thing. He believed that he had the right and uh, the means to right centuries of oppression and uh, all the wrongdoings that this world is unfortunately known for. So his convictions and his desire were more frightening than any of the guns that he was wielding. Uh, I love this soundtrack. It is probably my top soundtrack in the MCU. I like the story. The story was good. And I think that Coogler is a great director and he really knows how to tell really good stories. I won't say what I didn't like, but, you know, what kind of rubbed me the wrong way, I guess, is I don't know why Marvel felt the need to kill Killmonger, but they did and I was bummed and I would be uh, highly, highly disappointed in the MCU if they brought him back. Uh, there's no reason to. Let a good thing die. Um, leave it alone. And then also really the only other thing I can say about uh, Black Panther and I don't want to say a negative light, but the, the story to me at certain points was very formulaic. And uh, we knew that they had to be fights. We knew that T'Challa was going to lose. We knew he was going to come back and win. And it's just kind of an outline. But what saves it for me and what puts it above all the other movies that have this uh, exact same trope is like I said earlier, the soundtrack, the cast, the direction, the art design, all of it was beautiful. Marvel's decision not to recast T'Challa, I feel was the right one. Uh, a gamble that will either pay off or not when Wakanda forever comes out, but we'll see. 
Bozeman brought T'Challa to life for us. And like Christopher Reeve with Superman, Bozeman will always be the Black Panther. The mantle of the Black Panther was not meant to be just one person, as it has been passed down from king to king, and I am eager to see how Marvel handles the transition from one Black Panther to another. But I've always said, Marvel can do no wrong in my book. And because of that, I am giving Black Panther 4.75 fucks. Right on. That's a, that's a big score for you. Was, was I predictable, bitch? So with 4.5 fucks from the comic book guy, 4.75 fucks from the professor, and 4.75 fucks from me, that gives the Black Panther an average of 4.7 fucks, which ties it with Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, and it's slightly better than John Wick Chapter 3 and Snatch, and slightly worse than Die Hard and The Shawshank Redemption. All right, so that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you are curious to know which movie we are going to review next, please check out the website and any social media that we are on. Speaking of which, John, where can they find us? They can always find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com, where we post all of our podcasts, show notes, movie trivia, and anything else I can fit onto the site. You can also find us at any social media site, as well as any place that hosts podcasts, where please go listen to some of our podcasts and give us one of those five-star reviews. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to say thanks to anyone else who listens to us, who can stand us. Uh, Make sure you go out and give us a good rating. So, for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Wakanda forever! Don, any guesses? Well, was it a DC film? I'm just asking you, do you have any guesses? And I'm asking to clarify if it was a DC or not. That's going to help with my guess or not. Fine. No. Oh, well, fuck you then. (laughs) Suck it, bitch. What's the third highest grossing movie? Of all time? The Titanic? Yes. $2.1 billion. Yeah, I I don't get it, but... Well, you did when you were drawing me the other night. You know, well, the professor won't let me draw him, so... Like one of those French girls? You know what the similarities are between Creed and Black Panther? If you say that the entire cast is black, I'm going to fucking hit you. Well, besides that, uh, no, what's his name, Nobu? Najobu. Uh, if they had not kept Wakanda hidden, Noboju would have not... Najobu. Najobu. If they had not kept Wakanda hidden, Noboju... Najobu. You did the exact same. Najobu. If they had not kept Wakanda hidden, Noboju... <laughs> Stop it. You're just doing that on purpose now. <laughs> the boat. No. <laughs> that's a that's a great foreshadowing point. Come on, Don. Is it? Come on. Is Say it? it. But isn't it Say obvious? It. Say it. I think I think it's pretty obvious. I think it was obvious that they did that to show us. It, whether it's obvious or not, it is an example. Uh, I guess. Too bad no one in the no one in the uh, English speaking world is ever going to hear that. <laughs> T'Challa confronts Zuri about Nabo. Na, now I'm doing it, you son of a bitch. <clears throat> nah, Jobu, Legolas, Legolas. Legolas.
Can you just tell us to fuck off so we can go see Wakanda forever? All right, fuck off. Good night.